Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Wears Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. Thanks for tuning in to Abiding in Christ. On the program today, we have the conclusion of a segment that we began last time. Our hope is that you'll find it challenging and informative and that you'll listen to it with the knowledge that you can have full confidence in Christ, trusting Him as Savior and Lord. We also ask that as you listen, you prayerfully consider coming alongside Wares Valley Ranch and supporting this ministry to children in crisis through a tax-deductible donation. To find out more about how you can help, call us at 866-41-ABIDE or visit us online at wvr.org. Again, thanks for listening, and now we join the broadcast. The prophet Isaiah talks about a time when God's kingdom will allow people who were not allowed to come in the house under the Old Covenant. And the book of Acts makes it very clear that now in the New Covenant, God chose a eunuch from Ethiopia who wouldn't have been allowed in the house in the Old Testament. God chose a eunuch from Ethiopia and took a deacon evangelist and sent him out into the middle of nowhere in order to lead that guy to Jesus. He was riding along in a chariot. He was reading the scriptures. And Philip came alongside and said, do you you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So Philip explained it to him. And he believed and he was baptized. And he went back to Ethiopia with the gospel. Because now in the new covenant, come as you are. And so God tells his people that there are those who are in and those who are out. And God has every right to say, these may come and these may not. And it sets the groundwork for what we learn in the scriptures about the nature of salvation. I've been asked to please counsel with a church that is really struggling right now because their pastor believes that the reason some people go to heaven and some people don't go to heaven is because God chooses to save some people and does not save everyone. And there are a bunch of people in the church who are just scandalized by that. There may be some of you here this morning who are saying, oh my word, don't tell me that this church believes that. Okay. Just not really as an aside, it does have to do with this text, but it's going to seem like an aside. Let me me just ask you a question. Do you believe that man is basically good? Or do you believe that we are, by nature, sinful? What do you believe? You believe we're sinful by nature? Nobody has to teach a child how to sin. They come by it naturally. Right? 
All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. We deserve God's wrath. So how can anyone be saved? Well, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That is really good news, isn't it? God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that through him the world might be saved. But guess what? Not everybody in the world is going to be saved. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. So why are some people going to be saved and other people not going to be saved? Well, because some people make the right choice. And then we find Jesus saying these uncomfortable things like, you didn't choose me, I chose you. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And we say, no, wait a minute, what, what is he saying? Well, here's the fact. God says to everybody, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you know what the universal response of mankind without exception is to God's gracious offer? No, thank you. I'm doing just fine. That's our natural response because by nature we are dead in trespasses and sins. We're not just kind of sick and ailing. We're dead in trespasses and sins. And so how amazing that God would take a guy like, oh, let me think of an example of grace, Saul of Tarsus, who is determined to persecute the church and wipe them out, and he's on the road to do so, having, by the way, heard the gospel magnificently presented by Stephen, whose face was shining at the time. It's not like Saul was like, you know, well, you know, that's, I've, I've seen that before. No, none of them had seen that before. God's doing something miraculous and Stephen, the witness, is shining as he shares the truth of God's word. And Saul says, kill him. He needs to die. And then embarks on a mission, passionately seeking the destruction of God's people because he hates that truth. And God says, well... You know, I've done all I can. I mean, all I can do is send my son to die, and whoever believes, believes, and whoever doesn't, doesn't. That's the way a lot of people seem to make it sound. But instead, what does God do? He says, I've chosen this one. So he knocks him to the ground, blinds him, and speaks to him in an audible voice. God does what it takes to draw sinners to himself when he has chosen them before the foundation of the world. Now, I'm telling you, this is a scandalous truth to many people who call themselves Christians, and I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm simply saying God sets it up all the way back at the start and all through the scriptures we see over and over and over and over the only way anybody anywhere ever gets saved is because God saves them. In Titus chapter 3, I want it read at my funeral. It is the truth. We need to embrace it. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and following. 
But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This thing's trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. You see what it says happened? When we were lost, when we were dead, he saved us. How much credit can I take for my salvation? None whatsoever. I owe him everything because salvation is God's doing. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. That, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. Now, if that goes against your flesh, good. Your flesh needs to die. Mine too. So, God sets this up in the Old Covenant telling these folks, these are the rules. And it includes saying, these are included and these people are not included. And by the way, that truth doesn't just go back to the reformers. And it doesn't just go back to St. Augustine. It goes back to the scriptures. So, God lays out all sorts of rules about how people are to deal with various issues. He talks about fugitive slaves. And he says, if somebody gets away, if somebody escapes slavery, you're not to turn him in. You're to let him live wherever he wants in the city and don't mistreat him. I just don't think that seems right because that man is another man's property. Well, who's in charge? God. Well, those who want to defend slavery from Scripture are going to have to include this in their defense. Because it sounds like God's saying that a runaway slave should not be treated as if he was somebody else's property. Cult prostitution is forbidden. Interest on loans. This is a favorite. It is not okay to charge your brother Israelite interest on loans. Not okay. Foreigners, you can charge them interest. Hold on. Okay, I was a little uncomfortable with not being able to charge my brother Israelite interest. But... And now I'm, I'm even more uncomfortable with the idea that it's okay to charge that guy interest. Why, why is there a difference in how we treat people? Because God's teaching his people that not everyone is to be treated the same. Because God doesn't treat everyone the same. Do you understand? He's teaching them something. 
I hope we have the ability to get it. Pastor, just tell me one thing. Does this mean that I'm not allowed to charge interest? No, I'm not going to tell you. I will tell you this. When I was on Cape Cod and our church needed to build a building, a church in Memphis, Tennessee, came to us. We'd never heard of them. They heard about us. They came to us and they said, we want to loan you the money to build the church. This is at a time when if you could get an 8% interest loan, you were singing, praising God. A 12% interest was typical. Okay? They said, we'll loan you all the money you need to build. And um, uh, we're glad to do it. And we said, well, what's the interest rate? And they said, oh, there's no interest. We don't charge interest. We're just trying to help you spread the gospel in this community. Isn't that nice? Be careful to do whatever comes from your lips because you've freely vowed what you promised to the Lord your God. If you don't keep your vow, God's going to regard it as sin. If you want to avoid being possibly put in an awkward spot by what you vow, don't vow. That's what it says here, and Jesus picks that up in the New Testament and says, just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Why? Because we're going to give an account before God for every idle word spoken. When you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you can eat as many grapes as you want. That doesn't fit with my view of, of uh, private property. Now, the reason is not because I don't want to be able to eat his grapes. It's because I don't want him coming over here and eating my grapes. Okay? When my wife and I, we don't, have, we don't argue over this anymore because neither one of us can really afford to eat dessert very often. But, um, but when we were first married and we would go out to eat, I would want to order a dessert and my wife would say, no, I'll just have a bite of yours. And I'd say, no. <laughs> I don't mind paying for you to have your own dessert and you don't have to eat the whole thing. You can just have a bite of yours. Because to me, whatever I got on my plate, that was mine. I was the youngest child by six years younger than my older sibling, and then 10 years younger than my sister, and 14 years younger than my brother. I was basically an only child, and therefore a spoiled brat. And psychologically, it was just important to me that whatever was mine was mine. My siblings called me the little German because my favorite word for a while as a preschooler was mine. Mine shoes, mine ball, mine coat. Everything was mine. God says you need to get over that attitude, Jim. If somebody wants to come over, he's your neighbor, he's your brother Israelite, he's family, and you gotta share. So if he comes in and he wants to pull some grapes off the vine and pop them in his mouth, it's okay. You can do it at his house too. And I'm saying, I don't want to do it at his house and I don't want him doing it at mine. God says, relax, relax. Marriage and divorce laws. I actually had to refer back to this scripture when a guy came to me and he said, you know, I should never have divorced this woman. She was a really great gal. Now I've been married and she's been married, but now she's getting a divorce from that guy. I was thinking of divorcing my wife and marrying her again. And I said, you can't do that. 
He said, why not? She was much better than my current wife. I said, well, I'll tell you why. It's because God hates it. You pass people around as if it's just this month's fancy. You can't do that. That is a sin against God. Don't do it. Don't do it. You must purge this evil. You cannot live that way. Verse 5 and following of chapter 24. One-year honeymoons. Oh, what? If a man gets married, he's not to go off to war. He gets one year to spend with his wife. Wow! Uh, Really? It's right there. A one-year honeymoon. One year. And I want you to notice something. It says, stay at home for one year so that he can bring joy to the wife he has married. It's not for him. Ha! I, th- I thought it was for me. I thought it was so that I could have a really great year. No, you're to stay home and give her the best year of her life. God warns them against cruelty. And God says there are some crimes that deserve capital punishment, one of which is kidnapping. God says that is such a heinous thing to do to somebody that somebody who does that deserves to die. You must purge the evil from you. Now please notice this. If a man is discovered kidnapping one of his Israelite brothers, whether he treats him as a slave or sells him, the kidnapper must die. You must purge the evil from you. Can, just, just think with me for a moment. Can you recall... Can you recall a group of kidnappers who kidnapped their brother Israelite and then sold him? Any, any, any names come to mind? Like Reuben, Simeon, and Judah. And... Oh, oh, oh. Practically all the tribes of Israel would be wiped out if this had been enforced. Okay, so you're saying God doesn't really want his law enforced? No. I'm saying that when we read the law of God, what should come to mind over and over and over and over and over and over and over is, oh my word, we all deserve to die. Oh my word, we all deserve to die. Oh my goodness, if we got what we deserve, we wouldn't be here. Now it's not that God doesn't want his law to be taken seriously, it's that as God gives the people his law, One of the great gifts he's giving them is not only parameters that make life better, but an awareness of the fact that just drawing breath is God's mercy. God gave Moses laws in terms of who could marry whom. And guess what? If Moses' parents had obeyed that law before Moses was born, they wouldn't have been married and Moses and Aaron would not exist. If David had not married Bathsheba and God hadn't blessed them with Solomon, Jesus wouldn't have been born. The law is not just a collection of ancient ideas. 
It is God's word, and God's word shows us that he alone is worthy. All of us have missed the mark. Everybody, everybody, the best of us have missed the mark. So don't try to defend yourself. Because you may not be guilty of this, and you may not be guilty of this, but you're guilty of this. And this and this and this, but I won't talk about those. God talks about how you treat hired workers. God talks about how you treat people who need to borrow from you. God talks about showing a degree of mercy toward people who are being punished because they deserve it. No more than 40 lashes. And so, by the way, the tradition that came from this was the 40 lashes minus one. It was, I'm only going to hit him 39 times because if I miscount, I'm in trouble with God. Okay? God talks about preserving the family line, and you've got the warning against becoming the man whose sandal was removed. Well, that's a strange tradition. Yeah, but if you understand the context and the history, one of the things that it tells us is that even marriage is not just for our pleasure. It had to do with God's plan to raise up another generation. It had to do with God's plan to display his faithfulness in the history to come. And so the idea of refusing to do what God said you ought to do for the sake of your deceased brother, that tells us something about how we approach our marriage. It's not all about us and what I want and what pleases me. Honest weights and measures. I visited the home of one of my students years ago when I was teaching in another Christian school. And the teenage girl in that home had put a scripture on her refrigerator that had said, the Lord desires an honest weight. <laughs> she clearly had not understood this passage, but she'd found a verse that spoke to her. <laughs> and she posted it on the refrigerator, and I thought, I'm not even going to tell her. <laughs> What was God saying here? He was saying, don't cheat each other. Don't have one weight that you use when you're buying stuff and say, you know, I've, you, you've got to add some more because, you know, that's not a full pound. And then a different weight when you're selling stuff. Oh, yep, see, there's a one pound weight and that's all you get. God says, don't cheat each other. That's what that's about. And then God says, I want the Amalekites wiped out. Does God have a right to say that? Does God have a right to say, these people are to be destroyed because I said so? Was it really okay for God to come to the point where he says, I'm going to send a flood on the whole earth. I'm going to save Noah and his family, and that's all I'm going to save. Does God have a right to do that? Or was that not fair? Let me tell you, fair is we all go to hell. You want fair? I don't. I don't want to insist that I get what I've earned. Okay? 
because suddenly you'd be looking at a little pile of ash. Lord, have mercy on me. We are here today about to celebrate what Jesus did that we didn't deserve. He took the punishment we deserved so that we could have the eternal love of the Father, which He deserves. But God chose to save. And He alone is worthy of our praise. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.